Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And after a power outage delay, we are happy to be with you this week to bring our top 50 prospects countdown, the midseason update list. And this is always a big list, usually because you've now added players from the draft. But also this year, we saw the Orioles be sellers at the deadline, which opened up some new spots inside of our top 50 for some players that have never been ranked before and allowed some guys that have been lower on the list in recent months to jump up a little bit. Uh, as usual, we have followed the same methodology for every top 50 list. And I'm going to let Bob explain how the final list comes together. Yeah, so we all just we do our own personal top 50, one through 50, and that you get 50 points if you're number one, 49 if you're number two, all the way down to one point if you're number 50. So I just take the three lists, add those numbers up, and uh, put them in sequential order. Tiebreakers go by who, whoever is higher on any list overall, or you know, if someone is on two lists and tied with someone who's on one list, I'll give it to the guy who's on two lists. But yeah, it's a fun way to just go through the depth of the system and see, uh, see how healthy it is even after all these graduations. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that a little bit tonight where maybe the three of us split on a certain player. Uh, and we'll try to give every player his due in the span of time that we have here. And with that, I'm going to start with the top 10 of our countdown. Number one should be no surprise. It is the 2022 number one overall pick in the draft and now consensus number one overall prospect in the game, Jackson Holiday. Right behind him at number two is third baseman Kobe Mayo, who has hit his way to AAA this year. Colton Calder, now in the big leagues, ranks third behind Mayo with shortstop Joey Ortiz, who just continues to cover off the ball at AAA in Norfolk, coming in fourth. Heston Kerstad, also putting up excellent numbers at Norfolk, is fifth. 
Jordan Westbrook, very, very close to graduating, but technically still eligible for the list. We have him sixth. Samuel Basayo makes a leap to seventh, followed by Connor Norby, eighth. Kate Povitz, ninth. And Dylan Beavers, tenth. We'll start here with Holiday. Holiday has now entered that category of player that we've had the fortune of covering over the last three years, where they've gotten so good that we're running out of ways to talk about how good they are. That was Adley Rutzman in 2021. Last year it was Gunnar Henderson. Now this year it's Holiday, who started the year down at Delmarva and effectively hit his way to Bowie, showing what we knew he had all along, good contact skills, impressive plate discipline, but the all-around skill set has come together in a way that now most national outlets have Holiday either number one or number two on their top 100 list. So, Nick, I know I just said that it's getting hard to talk, to find different ways to talk about how good Holiday is, but how good is Jackson Holiday? Uh, potentially starting uh, second baseman or a shortstop for the 2024 Baltimore Orioles on, on opening day. I mean, I don't think that's crazy to think. I know there's even been some more discussions here. I've seen some chatter online, people saying, hey, could, could he be the guy late season that gets a call up? I don't TBD on that one, but I don't see any reason why he can't be in the starting lineup on opening day next year because, I mean, he's, he's already got – Started in Delmarva this year. He's already, tonight's his, what, 15th game at AA, 19 years old. And we were marveling, like drooling over what Kobe May was doing in Bowie this year as a 21-year-old. Jackson Holiday is a 19-year-old who is like five years younger than the average AA player. And he's got a batting average. It's only 14, 15 games here, but he's got a batting average of almost 400. And his WRC Plus coming into tonight was 194. Uh, and that was even after he missed a couple of days there because he was sick. I mean, it's it's absurd uh, how ridiculous this guy is. It's defensively too. He's showing out. Uh, love to see him play so well there. I mean, even just the last night was a game that I watched pretty closely because you know, getting ready for this. You know, Dylan Beavers is in Bowie as well, and it's fun to watch those guys like back of uh, bat back to back. Uh, and you notice like someone like Beaver struggling with, you know, breaking balls on the outer third of the plate, right? Holiday gets two strikes and guys are throwing him the same kind of stuff, breaking balls on the outside of the plate. He just pokes it and sends it the other way for a little, you know, line drive single. He's such a smart hitter. Uh, it's, he's so much fun to watch. It's, this guy's going to, this guy's legit. Uh, I'm finally, I think I, it's finally clicked for me too. That was the big thing that we've talked about a lot. Like, I don't think we were underestimating him for much of this time, even coming out of the draft. Uh, because we didn't really think Holiday was going to be the pick, and so I don't think we truly understood how just how just how good he is. But uh, we're starting to see that pretty loud and clear now. Yeah, and I'm not complaining about having a new number one prospect in baseball every year. By the way, we, they can keep it going as long as we have the podcast for years and years. <laughs> I can live with that. But uh, yeah, Holiday, man, he's certainly for real. Um, you know when. You're this much of the consensus number one. And, you know, it was a little bit of a debate with Ellie De La Cruz and Jackson Trio is back to doing Jackson Trio things. So he's up there as well. But when you're this much consensus across the board from all these different places, it, it typically is not a miss at this point. Yeah, you know, prospects can flame out. But when you're up into double A, that's like you're on the doorstep of the majors. Uh, the plate discipline's probably as good as. It, any uh, anyone on a team in the major leagues, even, and that includes Adley Rutschman, so and Colton Kowser. Um, so, yeah, between that, he had home runs in back-to-back -back games. 
last week. So the power, boom, there you go. Speed, he steals bases. He plays great defense. I mean, truly just a total five-tool player right now. And he's, like we've said a thousand times, he's 19. And he's bare minimum going to play in AAA this year for their playoff run. And yeah, who knows if there's an injury. You know, Ramon Arias hurt his heel last night. If we get to September and something like that happens, very easily could see Jackson Alley come up and help this team down the stretch and maintain his uh, Rookie of the Year status because very much like to uh, get that draft pick if you can. And yeah, it's exciting. So our real question is who's going to be the guy next year this time? Is it Samuel Basayo? Is it Kobe Mayo? So yeah, we're having fun over here. Yeah, and just to touch on some of what Holiday has done this year across three levels, he entered Wednesday night's action with a 465 on base percentage, 71 walks with 76 strikeouts, and 389 plate appearances. And one thing that I think we'll sometimes hear from listeners about is, well, you know, where's the power? He can hit for average. He has this good plate discipline. Where's the power? He's only 19 years old. He's got 10 homers and a 541 slugging percentage. The power is already sort of there. And even more of it's going to come. He's not going to be his dad, Matt Holiday, and hit you know upwards of 40 home runs a season in his best years. But it's not like this is just a spray hitter who draw, takes a lot of walks. No, he is. I was looking too. He had 21 extra base hits in 207 at bats in High A this year. Uh, he already has seven extra base hits. Plus, I don't know if he's got any tonight uh, while we're recording this. So he's got a third of the extra base hits already and a quarter of the at bats at the Double A level. The ISO, see that? Yeah, he had a 174 ISO and high A, which is it's fine, right? It's up to 232 right now in Bowie and small sample size numbers. I know none of those double A numbers have really like stabilized at this point, but yeah, that power is, is definitely showing. And you mentioned you know, that debate about who the top guy was, Ellie De La Cruz, Jackson Churio, or, or Jackson Holiday. And is I think he was consensus top prospect um, on all the national lists. But I can't remember who said it, but I remember at the time somebody making the point after Ellie De La Cruz came up saying, like, when you think about it, like, hey, Ellie De La Cruz, we're seeing what this kid is doing at the major league level. And I knew who he was. I knew what his tools were, but I never actually watched him play until he got called up. And then I watched so much Reds baseball for like two weeks there because I was just enamored with this guy. And as someone else made this point and it was like, if Ellie De La Cruz is the number two prospect in baseball and Jackson Holiday is number one, what kind of player do these scouts and evaluators think Jackson Holiday is going to become at the major league level? And it was like, like uh, something pretty darn special uh, if that's if he this development keeps trending the way it is. So it's yeah, I'm excited to see where just this season takes him because I think he could he's going to be a Triple A by the end of the year, helping Norfolk raise that Triple A banner, and then. We'll see what happens. There's still going to be more more baseball left to play after that in the big leagues. Yeah, and if you're questioning the power potential with Jackson Holiday, just go watch him in person. Stand near the field and look at him. Like He's 19, and his frame is just totally built. You can see exactly how he's going to add it. Like He's he's a little thin, but he's ripped. <laughs> like He's muscular, but you can just see that there's going to be strength easily added there. And he's already got a 199 ISO for the season as a whole. Uh, which again, not to just bring up the age over and over again, but for someone that age, I mean, that's, that's really good for a, you know, pure power. He's got a 178 WRC plus total for the season, 18.3% walk rate, 19 and percent strikeout rate and an OPS over a thousand if you combine all the levels. So just 
Incredible, incredible stuff and only room to grow from here. Like, I think the floor is so high and that's a big part of why he's consensus number one. It's because, right, you could put him in the major leagues right now. He's going to probably on base at least 33% of the time. And, you know, he's also got that room to grow power wise. And the hit tool is ridiculous. Like Nick said, he just he'll spit on a pitch that's just off the plate or slap it foul or slap it for a base hit. So he's just fascinating to watch. And the Orioles infield, man, it just gets better and better on a monthly basis. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at this core in the top 10 of hitters behind Holiday, uh, it's such an impressive group when you have guys like Mayo, Kowser, Ortiz, Kerstad, Westberg, who, as I mentioned, is close to graduating, Basayo, Norby, Beavers. First of all, it's a nice mix of guys that are at the top of the system, very close to being majorly ready. And then you add in the young guy in Basayo, who stock has risen so much this year. Um, it's a good problem to have, and I don't want to lament on that tonight necessarily. But when you look at this group of hitters, it is really impressive. Yeah, you yeah. got. And, oh, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, I mean, you got the top six guys there: Holiday, Mayo, Kowser, Ortiz, Kershaw, Westberg, who all look like legitimate everyday major leaguers, all-star potential. Uh, like no exaggeration there. Uh, Connor Norby, you could even see being an everyday major leaguer at some point. And Basayo, you know, still very young, but he's doing some pretty incredible things as an 18-year-old now in high A. So, yeah, the the top of this list is it's lethal, I guess, to for lack of better words. I was going to say, you know, there hasn't been that much change from preseason or if you are a patron or month-to-month top 10. But the thing is, all these guys – how rare is it that all these top guys just solidified their place or made it their case even better this season? Like nobody fell off. There was no bust knock on wood so far this season in that top 10, which is as strong as anyone's in the leagues, if not the strongest yet our first round draft pick, not even cracking our top 10. Um, Pretty crazy. And Dylan Beavers falls one spot from our last monthly thing. And he had one of the best months of July's ever. So that just tells you how tough it is right now to navigate into this top 10 and move your way up. Um, Connor Norby just having an incredible second half, just like last year so far. And Kowser and Westberg will probably be graduated by the time our September list comes out for patrons. So that'll just make things even more fun. But yeah, that top 10 is as solid as it gets. Yeah, I'm going to focus on the bats at Norfolk for a moment. And you have right now Mayo, Ortiz, Kerstad and Norby AAA all kind of have their different skill sets. Um, Ortiz has the potential to be an elite defender at shortstop, has hit really well over the past you know 12 months. Mayo may have the – no, I'm not, I won't say may – has the best right-handed power of any hitter in this system um, and doesn't necessarily have the swing and miss concerns that some thought that he had coming out of the draft. Heston Kerstad, I think, has put together as good of a season as you could have asked for. So we know these guys are close in the major leagues. What are their roles long term? It's so hard, right? Uh, Heston Kerstad, talk about someone so impressive this year. I mean, no slump. Has he been in even like a week-long slump all season? Like, There's like the swing and miss. The lack of a swing and miss in his game is what is surprising to me this year. I knew he had the power. I knew he wasn't going to walk a ton, but he's walked a decent amount. But it's the lack of strikeouts, the lack of – like his hit tool is way better than even I, I thought it was. So I feel like his stock is just 
amazing. I think he's like a first base DH corner outfield guy. Another one. Uh, and Ortiz. I mean, we're already been raved about Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo. Jordan Westberg looks great at the major league level. He's got an OPS right around 800. Um, not much like I kind of expected. Not much um, adjustments needed there for him. But Joey Ortiz is just sitting right there. He's been batting like 350 or higher all year long with an OPS between like 900 and 1,000. He plays incredible defense. If he could hit the ball in the air more, he'd be like an, an all-star, like yearly, perennial. So, yeah, the roles, I don't know. We got to get rid of the veterans, I think. Uh, Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, you can Adam Frazier this year. He'll be gone next year. But just you can see that their playing time has slipped a little bit this year as these young guys have come up and asserted themselves. But in 2024, I, I wouldn't be surprised if all three of those guys are gone and this infield is just wide open for these young guys. Yeah, the, the future, again, we talk about it all the time. I know it's a constant point of discussion, like in the Patreon chat and online. It's what do you do with all of these guys? And, of course, at least one, if not two, are going to be traded. Some guys are going to be, you know, you fill the utility role. It's there's it's a very good problem to have, right? But I think just this year alone, I mean, if something happens here, and I know I don't – Orioles are in a dogfight. They're going to be in a dogfight every single night for the, the rest of this season. There's still like there's not a lot of baseball left, but there is still a good chunk of baseball left to be played. Literally anything can happen. And if it's injuries that happen, right? You talked about, you know, Jackson Holiday possibly being that guy. I mean, there are so many other guys as well. Like if something does happen to an infielder, Joey Ortiz is right there. He's already got that taste in the major leagues. He's performing so well in AAA this season. He is ready. If something happens to an outfielder, Heston Kerstad is ready to step up and, and take that spot. Uh, Connor Norby, like if it's you're talking like worst case scenario here, I mean, you still have a third option or even a fourth option in Connor Norby to step up, and he's going to be productive for you. You're not talking about just looking at this year and what their roles could be. You're not talking about if something happens. We're like, it's doom and gloom now at the major league level. Like, obviously, if, you know, it's like Gunner, right? That's a whole different story. But if it's one of those Adam Frazier, Jorge Mateo, whatever, we need to move on from them or something happens there. There's so much talent that can step up and help this team. Uh, and it's it's solid. That's what's going to help this team, I think, propel themselves into the playoffs and hopefully make a deep run into the playoffs. Pitching, I know, is a whole different story. But as far as the bats are concerned, you really don't have a lot of issues. Worry about next year when we get there. But for right now, it's just a deep pool of major league ready talent. It's hard to see how the Orioles can even acquire an offensive player in the offseason, even if they trade two of these guys in the top 10 off of other than Kate Povich, obviously. There's still going to be more players in there as room. So, you know, it's going to be all internal unless they do something completely out of left field and it's pretty rare and um i love it let's talk about povich for a minute he is now the top pitching prospect in this organization if you've been following our monthly list on patreon this has been the case for a while but this is the first main show update that we've done in a while that has not had grayson rodriguez or dl hall as a top pitching prospect in fact i think it's the first ever uh when you look at povich's season there's been a little bit of a pattern where he can go out and put together back-to-back dominant starts. And then he'll have an outing where he struggles to keep the ball in the ballpark or his command just isn't quite there. Now, he's only two starts into his career at Norfolk, so there's really not a lot we can get from that, good or bad. But 
something that I think is worth pointing out with Povitz and what we saw from him at Bowie, which was that he may have had some of the worst luck of any pitcher there. Home run to fly ball rate is 17.6%, which is pretty high. And his XFIP was 1.8 runs lower than his ERA. Uh, he had an ERA of 487 in 81 in the third innings with Bowie. The XFIP was 307. Uh, just what have been your takeaways from this season, good and bad with Pilvitz? And what do you think his ceiling is? And has it has your perception of it changed this year? I think it has for me. Um, well, no, I guess for his ceiling, like I still think this is a, a guy who could fill the middle of a major league rotation. I guess this season has kind of more solidified that belief for me. Yeah, it's he's it's been up and down, right? But I mean, yeah, he struggled a little bit too in that first start in AAA, but it's it was against a very, very good Nashville team. First AAA starts, it's fine. Like, don't worry about that one. He responded just a couple of days ago in his last outing, one hit allowed in six innings, one run, just one walk, four strikeouts. And I know it was against Charlotte, and you know they've never been a great AAA team because it's the White Sox, and they don't really have a farm system to speak of. But I've always really loved watching our the prospect pitchers in the system go up against Charlotte because that Charlotte lineup typically is loaded with like quality quad A guys. You know, like your last year was a like, last couple of years. It's like Tim Beckham's and Yermi Mercedes, a lot of former Orioles there, but a lot of guys like that. And even this year, like it, there's a few. Um, and Stephen Piscotty, I think, was on the lineup right now. Like that's, yeah, they're not good baseball players. We know that, but for a, a young prospect coming up to face a guy who's got plenty of major league experience, that's that's valuable experience right there. Uh, and so for Povich to rebound like that, I think was amazing to see. It's you would like to see more consistency out of him, but that that stuff when it's on, it's just so good. When he's got that command down, the breaking balls are good. The fastball is there. It's this is a future major league starter, I think, without a doubt. And this season's really only solidified that thought for me. Yeah, I agree. And it's the consistency that needs to be that final piece because the repertoire is just great. Like reminds me a little bit of Max Fried. I think he could be just like that that lefty that's a two or three starter at the major league rotation. And we know the Orioles have had success honing in players' commands, command other than uh, Deal Hall. Uh, we'll see if that changes anytime soon. But so I, I just have faith that I think this pitching development team is underrated, and I have a feeling that they will be able to harness his stuff in the best way possible. So, you know, the results, they might at first glance not seem like, oh, this guy is ahead of deal hall on this list he's in the top 10 over so-and-so player under him well yeah if you watch the games you can see why because if he can ever put it together even just three out of every four times out then he is a legit mid of the rotation starter at the major league level completely agree and we'll move into the second part of the list now which is 11 through 20 and really get ready to see the outfield depth of the system reflected in this part of the list at number 11, you have Enrique Bradfield Jr., who is currently at Low A Delmarva after being drafted with the 17th overall pick this year out of Vanderbilt. Right behind him at number 12, Judge Fabian, who took an impressive run into Aberdeen and earning a promotion to Double A Bowie. While he's had his ups and downs in Double A in terms of his hit tool, the power, the on base skills, and the defense have all translated at a higher level. DL Hall at number 13. I really, really hope that this is the last time that we have DL Hall in one of these updates. 
and I hope that he's a bullpen piece for the Orioles down the stretch. Chase McDermott at number 14. Seth Johnson, who we're waiting on to come back from Tommy John surgery. 15th, Jackson Ballmeister, one of the Orioles' top picks in this year's draft and the first pitcher taken in the draft, comes in at number 16. Number 17, Matt Horvath, a 2023 draft pick with an interesting skill set. Number 18, Hudson Haskin, a talented outfielder who has had issues staying healthy the last couple of years with flashes. Some interesting promise when he is healthy. Number 19, Max Wagner, uh, who has, in his first full season, had some ups and downs at Aberdeen, but looks like a pretty solid prospect. And at number 20, John Rhodes, an outfielder who, if he puts all the tools together, you can see possibly an everyday right fielder in the major leagues, but it's been a matter of consistency for Rhodes and trying to be more consistent. Now, I guess we'll start here with this group of outfielders. You add Bradfield to the mix. You have Fabian right behind him. And then you have this really interesting mix of guys like Horvath, Haskin, and Rhodes. How do they all fit in at this point? It's tough. <laughs> Again, just the depth. I mean, if if one of them can stay healthy and have things click, then then you're then you're happy. Like Haskin, he's when he's in the on the field, he's pretty consistent. He can get on base. He can hit for average. A little bit of power. Plays good defense. Like just super solid. And then John Rhodes just flashes all the tools. And uh, who's the player Cunningham that um, Brad Selick said is like a toolbox in the nicest way possible. Um, I feel like John Rhodes is the same way. So if it could ever click, and I think even Max Wagner is like the infield version of John Rhodes. It's like, there'll be times where it's like, man, the tools are on display right now. And he looks great out there. And then he'll just have like two weeks where he has like three hits in two weeks and it's like, what is going on here? But if they can ever consistently find that, uh, that tool tool set to, uh, consistently put on display, then they can be really solid major league players. And Fabian, I mean, he's got all the tools except for the hit tool, potentially a little bit of swing and miss in that game. I think the Orioles can tighten that up. Uh, he showed in a ball, low A and high A that he can get, put it together with the hit tool, but the power is insane. He's got great plate discipline, good defense, good arm. So yeah, if just one or two of these guys hit, then you're looking good. Yeah. I think Rhodes, I mean, if anything too, Rhodes is a guy who, as long as you have control over him and can keep him in your system, he's quality depth that can play multiple positions in the outfield. He can power speed. I mean, he can kind of do it all. We, we've heard so often the batted ball data on him, like the, the end zone whiff rate numbers, the contact rates, the barrel rates. There was that great article. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, how his exit velos have been career highs and some of the best in minor league baseball recently. It's the numbers have always been there. The batted ball data has always been there. It's just been a matter of it clicking for him. And I know last year was a lot of injuries this year. I don't think he's been hurt. It's just been consistency and, He'll put together a strong week. You're like, is this the breakout? And then it hasn't come yet. But I still think, if anything, there's still a couple more gears that the Orioles can unlock there with him, and he can be quality depth, if anything. Uh, you know, and Haskin, Haskin's the same. He just has to stay healthy. And I'm getting more and more concerned that Haskin can stay healthy and on the field. But you look at some of these younger guys. Horvath is kind of the wild card here. Like, what kind of player is he going to become? Is he how much power is going to be there? Which position is he going to play? He's going to be a fun one, I think, to sit and kind of figure out what, what's up with him. But you look at the top there, and I mean, even going back to number 10 on the list, Beavers, Bradfield, Fabian, that's 
a really intriguing trio right there for me because all three have the ceilings to be everyday starters in the outfield. Bradfield and Fabian at center, Beavers in the corner spots. And it's going to be really, really fun. They all have question marks, like big question marks, but it's going to be really fun to see their trajectories and see who emerges. Does one fall off? I mean, all this is the same situation when you're looking at some of the, the infielders up in Norfolk that we were talking about. All three of these guys, you know, is one of them going to stay or a couple of these guys going to have to be traded? Like, there's not going to be a room for all three of them if they all pan out. But I, Fabian striking out at an absurd rate at double A right now, but there was so much talk about how he did clean it up in Aberdeen. So I have faith that you know, as long as by the end of the year, let's see that tick down. Let's see progress there come out next year. And we know this organization, look at Kobe Mayo's numbers and what the improvements he was able to make there. We know this organization can clean that up. Bradfield's already wrecking havoc on FCL and low A pitchers. And he's causing like three or four box already. He's played like what, four games. He's caused three or four box. He's stolen three or four bases already. He's, he's going to be insane. And if that hit tool comes around, which again, the batter ball data at Vanderbilt looked fantastic. And then going back to Beavers, I mean, if you unlock more with Dylan Beavers there, that's a guy, a corner outfielder who's 30 plus home runs a year at the major league level. So it's that trio right there, I think is the most interesting for me. And the underrated thing is they all provide plus defense. So yeah. it's not just the bats that can play. They're, they're all chasing down balls in the outfield. Yeah, to your point, Nick, um, about Fabian strikeout numbers, you can look back to Kobe Mayo. That's a perfect example last year, the way he was able to cut his strikeout rate when he went back to Bowie. Same thing for Gunnar Henderson from 2021 to 2022. So that's, I think, the hope that you have to have with Fabian at this point. Now, with that being said, I think it's time to kind of dive into our own personal list when we talk about Beavers, Bradfield, and Fabian. How did the two of you rank those three players? I had them in. I had that order. I had Beaver ten, Bradford eleven, Fabian twelve. I just think my tiebreakers were. I think Beavers has the highest ceiling because, like I said, if if it clicks, that hit tool clicks. He is thirty plus home run guy at the major league level. He plays a good corner outfield defense, strong arm. He's super athletic. I go. We talked about him recently in his pre-draft report. I think on Fangraphs basically called him a freak of nature, uh, physically and athletically. Um, Bradfield, I, you know, you can make an argument that Bradfield has the higher ceiling. I envision, I don't know if this is crazy or not. If you can unlock that hit tool a little bit more and maybe some more power comes naturally because I, I shout out to again, Mason McCray, but he, he kind of highlighted some of Bradfield's batted ball data. And this guy hits the ball incredibly hard and he's got good launch angle on the ball. He can do it. It was just an off-season last year at Vanderbilt, but it's all there in his frame. And if the Orioles can unlock that, I mean, could Bradfield see peak peak Bradfield here? Could he be like Cedric Mullins with less power maybe? I mean, and but and better defense. I mean, that's what I could envision Bradfield being. And Fabian I had third there because I think he has he's the wild card of that bunch because he this could be it at him and Bowie. He can, you know, flame out here and Bowie because the strikeouts become too much of an issue. Or, like Bob said, he's an elite defender out there in center field. Same thing, thirty plus home run potential at the same time. But yeah, I, I had those three. Interesting stuff because I had Bradfield uh, at the top there. Um, just think the floor is so high. Like he could play major league defense right now, and he could probably be Jorge Mateo right now at the major league level. Uh, except he would have caught that ball in center field yesterday. 
I have Fabian right behind him. I just think the upside, if he can get that hit tool tightened up just a little bit, man, that plate discipline and power combination with the defense and center field is like very appetizing. And then Dylan Beavers, which I have him 12th on my list, which is kind of crazy because, I mean, he's like, I could see him being like a Kyle Tucker in the major leagues, like just a great power hitting, 25, 30 home runs, corner outfielder, solid defense, hit for average, hit for power. But I feel like he's it, got the longest way to go to get there, maybe. I don't know. It's getting closer between him and Fabian, but yeah, it's it's a tough call between those three for sure. Yeah. I was just going to say, maybe the uh, Kyle Tucker comp, not not the right time right now. But, Oops. No, I see. <laughs> um, I had Beavers actually eighth on my list, and then Bradfield 11th, Fabian 12th. I think that Bradfield has the highest floor in the group because of the center field defense and because of the speed. There was a lot of like Kenny Lofton comps thrown around after the draft. And I have to admit, I kind of winced when I saw those, not anything against Bradfield, but Lofton's a player who was a really, really good at the major league level for a long time and ended his career with a pretty strong hall of fame case. So I think that's a lot to ask, but I could see exactly what Nick brought up. Cedric Mullins with better defense, less power, probably better plate discipline, though, and maybe not as much of a swing and miss to his game. Um, and that with Fabian, it's very possible that he overtakes Bradfield because of that 30 home run power, but the strikeouts are going to be the key. And I agree with both of you that if Beavers puts it all together, you're looking at a guy who's going to play really, really good right field defense and hit 30 home runs at the major league level. And although I don't factor this too much into my rankings, it is convenient that he would be developed in what's going to be the perfect ballpark for him as a hitter. Now, let's talk about the pitching uh, pitchers in this section on the list. You still have D.L. Hall in the mix. Chase McDermott is probably the guy whose stock has maybe not risen the most this year, but it has risen quite a bit with the way that he's pitched. And now you add Ballmeister to the system, who just seems like a really intriguing arm. What are your guys' thoughts on these uh, pitchers? And Seth Johnson as well, that we still have not seen, but hopefully we'll see beginning of next year. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I think Chase McDermott could make a case to be the top pitcher in this organization right now, too. Uh, I just think the upside's a little bit more on Povich's side because he has so many pitches that are devastating to hitters. But McDermott, man, we've talked about it a lot. We've had him on the show before. His stuff is ridiculous. His curveball slider, fastball that rises um, seemingly. And he's having success at AAA right now since he's been promoted. He, what do you have, five or six no-hit or one-hit innings uh, last week? He's he's lights out. I think he could actually get a shot in the bullpen if if needed in the major league level in uh september potentially um and yeah seth johnson he keeps falling he's down to 15th but it's not real obviously it's not any fault of his own he's just coming back from injury but if he comes back and looks like the player he was before he got hurt i mean who says this team can't develop uh pitching there's a lot of pitching throughout this top 50 uh baseball america updated their top 30 today a lot of pitching in there so i think the story might be changing nationally when it comes to uh, the Orioles and the balance of the hitting, the pitching in their prospects. Yeah. Uh, with McDermott, I was looking at his line tonight and trying to do math and listen at the same time and formulate thoughts. And that doesn't go very well in my head, but McDermott tonight, uh, as just, 
He just wrapped up his outing as we were speaking against Jacksonville. Five innings, two hits, one run, zero walks, six strikeouts. So my man has a 1.88 ERA in AAA, and he came in tonight, 25 strikeouts to 11 walks in 19 innings. So what is that? 20, 31 strikeouts to 11 walks in 25 innings. Uh, he has taken a whole nother step since he's been promoted to AAA that I was not expecting. I think coming into this year or about halfway, a couple months into the year, I think I said that coming into the year, I thought McDermott was probably more of a bullpen arm. I could see that sticking in the bullpen. He throws so hard. He's got the wicked breaking ball. The slider has so much movement on it. The fastball can be so good. Stick him in the bullpen. Let's watch that stuff play up. He'll be fun. Fast track him through the system. But after a couple months in Bowie, I was like, I don't know. This guy's a starting pitching prospect and a legitimate starting pitching prospect at that. Uh, he pitched phenomenally down there in Bowie. One of the top, him and Kate Povich were the two top strikeout guys in the entire Eastern League when they were there. It's carrying over to AAA right now. It's He's being slept on so much, I think, uh, just because it's pitching in this organization. Uh, and like I've said plenty of times, this organization is not getting the credit that they deserve in, when it comes to pitching development. And it's not just the prospects. It's the guys we're seeing at the major league level, Grayson, Bradish, et cetera. But, yeah, uh, McDermott, I think, is going to rise on this list. I did have McDermott over D.L. Hall. Uh, but, you know, shout out to D.L. Hall, though. He's... They've got him back in Norfolk. He's touching 97, 98 miles per hour in these shorter stints. I think that's that's what that's where he's going to make his career. I think I said it on the daily the other day. It might have been yesterday or this morning. It was like I think D.L. Hall not only makes the Orioles better uh, long term if he's in the bullpen, but that's where he's going to find long term success and carve out a very successful career in the big leagues. Stop with the starter experiment. Keep him in the bullpen already. Use him as that weapon. He's already proven that he's very good in that role at the major league level. It, but at the end of the day, like right now, it's it's good to see him, that velo back. He's healthy, and he's close to reaching the major leagues again. So maybe a little bit of prospect fatigue on my end why I had McDermott ahead of him. But regardless, there's two like, phenomenal pitching prospects that were else out there. Yeah, shout-out to friend of the show, Justin Ramsey, AAA pitching coach, for getting uh, McDermott to that next level already so far since he was promoted and yeah deal hall i might give him one more spring training next year to try to make the starting rotation but i would make that switch a lot faster next year and just have him shutting down guys god this bullpen if if cano could get back to where he was when he first came up get that arm slot back to what it was you got felix bautista and deal hall at the end of the end of the games yeah you're looking pretty good if you have a lead after the seventh inning yeah, absolutely. And going back to McDermott, it's all in the walks for him because what we have seen this year, unlike last year, is that when hitters do make contact, they really don't barrel the baseball. Now, we don't have really good batted ball data for anything below AAA, but we do know that McDermott spent most of last year at Asheville, which is a notorious band box. Uh, you get him out of that environment, you make some of the adjustments the Orioles have made with him, including, I think, kind of putting the change up on the back burner or scrapping it completely. And he has looked like a much different pitcher when he is in the strike zone this year. And I think that's going to really be the key for him. Um, I still think there's a little bit of reliever profile there, but if it is, if he does end up as a reliever, he's going to be a good one. And I'll move on now to the next part of this list, 21 through 30. Number 21, Frederick Ben Cosme, a infielder with excellent back to ball skills who 
not having quite as strong a season as he did in 2022, but still flashes some potential. And number 22, Dean Pinto, who is a double-A buoy, pitching pretty solid right now. The young shortstop, Luis Almeida, the Orioles' prize acquisition in the 2023 International Free Agent class, comes in 23rd, followed by Justin Armbruster, who just continues to be a steady rider in this organization, pitching pretty well at AAA Norfolk right now. Number 25th is a guy who has been a meteoric riser in 2023, and that is Alex Pham, uh, who has not only moved up 17 spots from where we had him on our Patreon list last month, but has entered the top 50 after not being considered for the top 50 by any of, the, of us coming into this year. Uh, so he has been really impressive, and we'll talk about him a little bit more in a moment. Number 26, Creed Willems, a catcher with plenty of power from the left side of the plate. Number 27, uh, Braylon Tavera, an outfielder, putting together a nice season down at the FCL. He was the headline acquisition in the 2022 International Free Agent Class. Right behind him is his teammate in the FCL, Leandro Arias. Trace Bright moves into the top 30 at number 29, a guy with plenty of potential and a really good fastball, which he has showcased at Aberdeen this year. Number 30, Carter Ballmer, back on the mound, healthy right now. We're hoping it's for an extended run because when the young right-hander does have a productive, healthy stretch, he looks like he could be one of the best, if not the best pitching prospect in this organization before too long. So a wide array of names here, and I'll just kind of throw it out to you, Nick. Where do you want to start with this group? I mean, let's talk about Alex Pham uh, since he wasn't on the list, and he's up here now just phenomenal. I mean, this I think I've said this before, like just – a strictly relief prospect we thought coming out of the draft, smaller school at University of San Francisco or something, didn't know they had a baseball team, didn't know that was a university until I saw Alex Fan was drafted from there. And here he is now. They move him into this starter's role, and he has taken off. I mean, he's already in double-A and pitching extremely well in double-A. The strikeouts haven't quite been there yet since he's, since he's been promoted. He was striking out more than like 13 guys per nine innings down there in high A. Strikeouts still aren't there in double A, but the walks are way, way down, like cut in half. Home runs are down, and that's when pitching your home games in Bowie, so that's good to see. Ground balls are up. He's still got like an ERA of like, what, 2.29 in double A. The fastball, it's like we've seen, it's this that hoppy fastball. It's working. He commands it up in the zone. It's got extreme, that extreme IVB induced vertical break, which, again, makes it incredibly hard to hit when you can command it and throw it hard up in the zone. The curveball, that's been his weapon. We knew that was his weapon. That's all we knew about Alex Pham coming into this year. He was a relief prospect with a good curveball. Okay, let's and shorter, on the shorter side. He's a smaller guy. How high can he go? Um, turns out uh, the Orioles work some magic there with him. And now he's getting a lot of love, not just from people within the Orioles community, but like nationally, you've got a lot of Alex fam stands <laughs> emerging on social media. I've seen, and I love it. Um, this, this guy is a, a nice little analytical darling that the Orioles found and is a good example of some of these, you know, all the pitching prospects that they drafted this year. They're guys from you never heard of. They're not going to be ranked highly on a lot of lists. They may not even be from schools that you even heard of, but they've got their model on what they like in their pitchers, and the Orioles know how to work with those pitchers, and we're seeing more and more success from these guys, and FAM's kind of become that poster child for those guys. Yeah, I feel like FAM is like mini Kyle, Br Kyle Bradish. Obviously a smaller guy, but got that vertical arm slot, nasty breaking stuff, and just seems to be really clicking with the Orioles' pitching development. Love to see him up here. 
and I think he's only going to continue to climb as uh, you know, he shows sustained success other than just half a season or four months worth of, of stuff. But he's clearly improved from when he was uh, uh, just like a two or three inning reliever for Delmarvin Aberdeen last year. Now he's just like a most consistent starter down in the minor leagues, basically. So, yeah, love to see him climb up. And I would like to shout out, let's go with Creed Willems next if we could, because you know, he got off to an amazing start in Delmarva, repeating that level. And, you know, just a completely different player. Uh, looked looked in better shape. He was hitting for power, walking, striking out less. Gets promoted to high A. And I know a lot of people have, uh, maybe not a lot, but I've seen some people sour on him a little bit because he's having a quote-unquote mediocre time in Aberdeen. But he just turned 20. He's a catcher. And he's holding his own. He's hitting for power. He's walking. Yeah, the average isn't what it was in Delmarva, but that was probably unsustainable anyway. Still love the improvements he's made and think he's only going to build upon it. Not everyone can be Samuel Basayo, 18 years old, and just racking shops. So I think he's uh, a little bit under the radar here at number 27, 26. Yeah, 26. And I think the one thing that's important to still consider with Willems this year is that He's had to bounce back and forth between catcher and first base a lot because he started the year in Delmarva with Basayo. And then when he was promoted to Aberdeen, the Ironbirds had two pretty good catchers in Silas Ardwan and Adam Retzbach. So again, you have to kind of move Willems around a little bit. So that's another part of his development that he's had to take on is playing first base and catching on a semi-regular basis. The power is legitimate. I think that... From what I've seen of him in person, I think he does have pretty good back control. He can take the ball the other way well. It's just going to be a matter of adjusting the high A pitching. And it may take him, you know, a month or two in the next season to really get a hang of things. Or, you know, not saying that he's going to be in the Arizona Fall League, but he could be a Heston Kerstad type where in the last month or so he figures it out. And that's when you really see him put it together. It's also kind of a grind of a season for him at catcher. He got a late start last year, did not play every day, not even close last year. He's been playing almost every day behind the plate, first base, DH, but he's he's played a lot, and it's a grind. So that's also his first full season. Yeah, I'd say I was the low guy on Creed here, pointing him down again. Um, but it, it's you look at his numbers in high A, and yeah, they're not great right now, but the one thing that stands out to me is – the strikeouts are pretty much identical in high as they were in low A. So I think that's a good sign. He's not striking out more. It's just, uh, you know, balls aren't falling right now. And I really love this write-up. I don't know if you guys saw this stuff. Baseball America obviously updated their top 30 and included draft picks in their list. And their write-up on Creed was really good, highlighting some of his batted ball data. He has above-average Major League exit velo data highlighted by 90th percentile exit velocity above 105 miles per hour. And really, they noted that the swing and miss is in-zone whiff rate issues. So he knows the, he knows that strike zone. He commands the strike zone very well. He doesn't swing at junk. He doesn't chase pitches. It's just a matter of making contact in the zone. I think if you're going to have a problem or an issue at the plate, that's a pretty good problem to have at the plate. You're not chasing sliders away. You're not chasing junk. Okay, maybe you can't catch up to the high velo, whatever it is. I don't know. That's something that I feel pretty confident this organization can work on. And yeah, I, you, I learned my lesson. I did learn my lesson last year, though. Like, it's going to take him some time to adjust. So yeah, like Zach said, it may be a month or two into next year before we see him break out. But 
I feel very confident that at this point next year, we're going to be talking about Creed Willems in double-A Bowie and what he's doing down there in that ballpark. Completely agree. And I think you have a pretty interesting mix of pitchers aside from Fam here because you have Pinto, who I think our longtime listeners know we have a special place for Dean Pinto in our hearts, and he's uh, backing it up with his performance this year. Justin Armbruster has had such an interesting year to me because the strikeouts were down at Bowie from what they were last year, but he also cut the walks down, then got promoted to AAA, and the strikeouts have come back up. He's been really good between the two levels this year. And then you have Bright and Balmer. Um, And Bright, when he's on, looks like he has – I wouldn't say his fastball is better than Chase McDermott's, but Bright may have a top three fastball in the minor leagues for the Orioles on nights where that pitch is really working because he's got the velo, he's got the hoppy movement. It's just a matter of him putting everything together to be a consistent, productive starter. And then with Carter Ballmer, it's just about health. Uh, when he has been on the mound since being drafted out of high school in 2020, he has looked really good. We just haven't seen much of him. Yeah, and I think, too, and we're kind of the lower guys on Trace Bright when you look at some of the national lists. I, I know, well, Baseball America saws him number 30. I think they've had him higher. And I think he was a guy that even Baseball America or someone else was highlighting as a, a guy who, even when he was going through that stretch there where he came out to get so hot, he had what, like, what, 18, 19 strikeouts in his first two outings, and he only pitched like seven innings in those two outings. You're like, holy crap, what do we got here in Trace Bright? And then it just tanked. I think he pitched his next seven innings. He gave up like 15 runs. But he's been much more consistent now. I know he just pitched today. I watched him this afternoon at Aberdeen, and I think the final line didn't really do him justice. He was racking up the strikeouts. I think he had six or nine strikeouts in like five innings. Um, I think he might have had nine, and Cameron Wilson had six. I can't remember. But this guy's got it. As long as he can throw strikes, he's got it. Um, and I know a lot of people early on after the draft, there are a lot of reports saying you could stick him in the bullpen and he could be in the major leagues pretty quickly. I don't think Thor is going to move him to the bullpen anytime soon. But this is a guy who, when it truly clicks for him, I think he has that Alex Pham rise. Maybe it's it's next year, but he's got that potential. All these guys in that range, like you mentioned, Bright could be a guy who, if it clicks for him, you're looking at him as like, oh, this is a future major league starter. Carter Baumler, we we got a glimpse last year of just how good that stuff is in Delmarva. If he can stay healthy finally, he's had two major injuries up to this point in his young career, and he hasn't really pitched much since, what, 2019. So that's a long road for him. But if he's still only, what, 21 years old? This is another guy who you're looking at as that's a future major league start if everything clicks. You mentioned Arm Brewster. He's already in AAA doing this and pitching well. Again, it's underrated arms, and you've got five or six more guys behind this group that I think are all legitimately their ceiling is major league starter. It's the pitching depth is a lot deeper than what I think people uh, assume down here in Baltimore. Yeah, you guys now nailed everything on them i think even if carter bomber can be healthy that will help offset the loss of zach showalter in that trade last week uh just like to shout out a couple guys of course i'm going to shout out dean pinto he's done nothing to let me think less of him since he's been up in double ABOE. he's been performing well i think he could probably be just a really good hybrid guy at the major league level where he's a multi-inning reliever generally but if you need someone to step in he can give you five inning start you know and just kind of five and dive there. I think one or two times to the order will do it for him. 
And Justin Armbruster just com- continues to be, just be consistent. Talk about lack of consistency. He's got pretty good consistency this year. He's just been going out there, performing pretty well all year long. He's getting a lot of AAA time this year. So come next year, I think he could be a surprise guy that gets a start or two, if not more, at the major league level. We go now into the next part of our list where you are going to see a lot more pitching. Number 31, Kiefer Lord, a 2023 draft pick who has really risen in the last uh, few months thanks to a velo spike in college over the spring. Number 32, Kyle Bronovitz. It is great to see him back on the mound recovering from Tommy John surgery. He looks pretty sharp so far. Number 33, welcome to the top 50 for the first time ever, left-handed pitcher Luis De Leon, a young hurler at Delmarva who has really called our attention over the last couple of months. Number 34, the guy with maybe the most tantalizing stuff in this farm system, Carlos Severa, the right-hander currently at AA Bowie. Juan Nunez right behind him, number 35, another right-handed pitcher who has been solid this year between the two A-ball levels, Delmarva and Aberdeen. Number 36, Tavian Josenberger, one of the Orioles' top picks in the 2023 draft. Long regarded as a high-floor guy who can get on base, play a couple of positions. He had a little bit of a power spike this year at the University of Arkansas. Number 37, we have Davey Cruz, another left-hander that is paired with De Leon at Delmarva this year. Cruz of late has shown much better command, which could be the difference long-term between him possibly profiling as a reliever or maybe a starter. Number 38, Jake Cunningham. We talked about him a little bit earlier in this show. We're going to talk about him some more in just a few minutes because the interesting skill set of tools is absolutely there for this outfielder who was just chosen by the Orioles in the 2023 draft. Number 39, Ryan Watson, who currently down AAA Norfolk, has had more ups and downs this year than he had in his breakout 2022 season, but nonetheless has given the Tides some solid innings this year. Number 40, Billy Cook. Uh, who on his best nights looks like a true five-tool player, and he's been having a lot of great nights uh, since the beginning of May when he's frankly been one of the best hitters in the Orioles' farm system now for about three months. He's currently down at Double A Bowie, and I think he's actually the perfect guy to start with in this section of the list. We've always kind of looked at Billy Cook and been interested in him because he can run really well. He can play seven positions or so in the field. He occasionally flashes the power, but up until this year, strikeouts had been an issue for him. The hit tool didn't really look like it was going to be there. And for the first month of the season, that's pretty much the player we saw. Then something happened beginning of May where a switch has flipped. And now all of a sudden that hit tool has come around. And it's getting to the point where I feel like Cook is almost becoming something of a cult hero among people who follow the Orioles minor leagues because of everything he can do. So let's just start with this. Is this breakout for real? Let Billy cook. I think it is. Uh, his first day, his first month, April, he batted 103 with a 321 OPS, negative five WRC plus, zero one seven ISO, like just astronomically bad numbers. Struck out 27.7% of the time. Since the calendar flipped to May, he's batting 292 with an 895 OPS, a 139 WRC plus, 8% walk rate, 22.8% strikeout rate, and a 255 ISO. Yeah, I mean, he can play all over the field. I think he's played everywhere but like shortstop and catcher um, and pitcher. But yeah, just let him cook. I think he could be like that guy that's just like 
like Nick said earlier about these guys that are getting near AAA, I think he could be there soon. Just great depth to have. Like, if there's an injury, you can bring up a guy like Billy Cook who's got tools for days. He's got power. He's got, it might not look good. It might not be pretty, but he's got power. He's got speed. He's been 292 over the past three months. Like, he, he can play the game. It might not, you know, be what you're picturing in the old days before the uh, – the analytics, he might not have made it this far, but here he is. And, yeah, I think it is for real, and I think we've been sleeping on him a little bit and obviously can't blame us after that first month. Yeah, that looked uh, really bad that first month there. And even last year in, in Aberdeen, it was like, all right, he's got crazy power, but the average, he's going to be like a 200 hitter when he gets up to Bowie. And he strike his strikeout rate is 32 33%. It's very alarming. He's cut. He had the thirty-two percent strikeout rate in Delmarva, thirty-one point eight percent, so thirty-two percent strikeout rate in Aberdeen last year. This year in Bowie, he has a twenty-three point seven percent strikeout rate, so he's dropped that considerably. An identical seven point eight percent walk rate in Delmarva and Aberdeen. That's up just a smidge to eight point two percent this year. I mean, the guy. I, you're pretty accurate that it all looks ugly and doesn't look great, but it all works. It all comes together. And Kobe Mayo said he's a five-tool player, so I'm not going to go against what Kobe Mayo said. So I, I will believe that and also said that he's the most slept-on player in the system. Kyle Moore, double-A Bowie manager, I know you know he's going to stick up for his guys. We all know that. But he said Billy Cook, I don't remember the exact quote, but I know he was talking with somebody and uh, he was basically saying that Billy Cook is, he's a future major league hitter. He sees that in him. I don't think these guys, like, there's no reason for him to say that about Billy Cook unless he honestly didn't believe it. He could just, you know, move on or say something else positive about his game, right? We love we love the development that he's had this year. But to have numerous people in this organization vouch for him and say no, this is this guy is being slept on. This guy's for real. I'm buying into it more and more. The only thing that scares me and I don't think this is it's fair because they're two completely different players, but and I'm the first one to say I hate comps. I hate all of that. Every player is their own player on their own timeline, their own skill set. But the only thing that scares me is whenever I think about this, I do get some Zach Watson vibes come back. Like he was not really much of anything in the lower levels of the minor league, gets to Bowie, has this crazy breakout, and then can't repeat it in Bowie, and now he's released. That's the only thing that scares me. But again, they're not the same type of player, so – maybe Billy Cook is different and uh, my fears will be alleviated, but phenomenal season there for him that I don't think anybody, anybody who follows this organization saw coming. Yeah. He's gone from Billy Cook to Billy chef real fast. (laughs) I think I found the quote you were referring to Nick, a friend of the show, John Mioli wrote about Billy Cook a couple weeks ago in the Baltimore banner and quoting here from Kyle Moore when you compare him to other players who have totally killed it at this level, and when I compare him to who I've seen go ahead and play in the big leagues, he's right there with all of them. I have no doubt this guy can play all three outfield positions in the big leagues defensively. No doubt. I have no doubt he can steal the bases in the big leagues. I have no doubt he can hit for power in the big leagues. All of those things he's proved this year. I don't know if he could do that at the beginning of the year, but I do now. So pretty high praise from Kyle Moore, as you touched on. Looking elsewhere on this list, I feel like this is really where the if you're looking at pitching development and pitching's kind of been a theme of this list because in terms of volume, it's probably the deepest top fifty with pitching we've ever done. 
there's a lot of guys in here where there are question marks with the development, but their ceilings are all high. I mean, Ryan Watson's 39, and he was the minor league pitcher of the year last year. Um, you know, it hasn't gone very well for him in AAA, like you mentioned. He's had his ups and downs, but I also saw, I think it was Peter Gammons who tweeted this out the other day. And I, speaking of Ryan Watson, talking about him, uh, Doug Watson in our Patreon chat, you can make the connections there. Uh, Doug made a great point at, at some point. I don't know if there's any relation or not. Uh, made a great point, though, when we were talking about Drew Rom, I think. And, you know, what's Rom? You know, he looks like he's taking a step back this year, which I think he made his debut in Memphis tonight and had like nine strikeouts through four innings and one hit allowed. So shout out to Drew Rom, pitching very well over there. But um, the discussion about Rom was, well, it looks like he's taking a step back this year. What's going on? And the comment was, that automated strike zone that's used down there in AAA right, right now is having an effect on guys. I think it was Peter Gammons who tweeted out yesterday or sometime this week saying that he talked to one executive and they said it's really hard to kind of evaluate the AAA guys because the strike zone is pretty small and walk rates are kind of through the roof right now in AAA. And a lot of that's being credited to the, the automated ball strike system and working the kinks out there. So maybe that could be an issue. Guys have to adjust to that. Maybe they're pitching a way that they don't feel comfortable in, and they're having to adjust on the fly there to fit the strike zone. And obviously they're not going to change that automated strike zone in the middle of the season. Um, that's probably going to be something they'll look at down the road, but that could be a factor here when looking at these AAA guys. But still, Watson is a guy who I think could be a major league reliever. Um, and yeah, you look at some of these other guys, Davey Cruz and Juan Nunez, two really young guys who Nunez is he his stuff I think might be some of the more underrated stuff in the system when he's on and pitching well he's piling up the strikeouts guys don't hit him very hard at all Davey Cruz is finding that control this year Cruz is that lefty who can good velo good sweeper all of that stuff too and Luis De Leon I mean a lefty who's throwing what 96 97 miles per hour that's that's gonna play and he's been arguably the most exciting prospect down there on the farm this year, because he was another guy who we really knew nothing about coming into this year. Yeah. Luis De Leon is like helium, like to the moon. Um, yeah. I didn't even look, we follow this minor league organization probably as close as anyone on the planet, maybe uh, other than the people that work for the team. Um, and I didn't know who Luis De Leon was until he started piling up the, the strikeouts in the scoreless innings in the FCL when they, once they opened their their season. And looking back, he did pitch in the DSL last year. He had like a five-something ERA, but his FIP was like two-point-something. Like it was a guy that had some bad luck. So he just escaped, at least I can speak for myself, my radar, radar probably because of that. And yeah, and then once I saw video when he got to Delmarva, and he's 96, 97 from the left side at 20 years old, just great breaking stuff and – it's just a shout out to that entire Delmarva staff, pitching staff, and whatever they're doing with these young international guys. Because like Moises Chasse has been lights out the past couple months. Juan De Los Santos, both of these guys did not make our top fifty, but easily could have. Same with Davy Cruz. Like yeah, the command or control is just significantly better the past month or two than the first couple months, and it's just across the board been awesome to watch. And let's see, Kyle Bronovich coming back from injury is interesting as well. Yeah, Bronovich, you know, it, it's still fairly early in his recovery, but he has looked really good to this point. My opinion on him has not changed a whole lot, which is that 
if you look purely at the fastball uh, with him being a right-hander who doesn't throw that hard but can locate the pitch well, he looks like maybe a six-out reliever at the big league level. But if that knuckle curveball plays up against more advanced competition, he's probably a back-end starter and a pretty good one because he can locate his pitches, he's efficient, and he's got that true out pitch. So I still see that as the X factor between him being a starter or a reliever, but regardless, I could see him being a solid arm in the major leagues for a long time. He was he would have been at the major leagues last year, if obviously after the Tommy John surgery, after what, three outings last year. I know some outlets like Fangraphs is extremely high on Branovich, probably the highest, and believes that he could be a starter as well. I mean, he's a guy that I, I've I watched so much of him live and in person in college when he was at Elon. I, I still remember his last start at Elon. I don't know if I told the story on the podcast or not, but his last start at Elon was CAA tournament. And there's an Oriole scout there. And he was dressed in all black, including long sleeve black pullover. And it was so hot that the concession stand was giving away free cups of ice, which JMU does not give away anything for free. As far as food goes, you have to pay for ice at JMU baseball games. Um, but they were giving away free ice because it was miserable. All the scouts, there was a sliver of shade under the press box. Some of the scouts were there. Some had left. They were waiting for the night game, you know, coast, not Coastal Carolina, um, whatever other North Carolina school that's in the CAA. I don't follow CAA anymore. UNC Wilmington, that was down there. People waiting for the big guys. Greg Jones down there, UNC Wilmington. They're waiting for Greg Jones to come up and play. That Orioles scout, I don't know who he was, but he was there with his iPad, dressed in all black, sweating everything off uh, to watch Bronovich. And he was intent on Bronovich. And it was really cool when the Orioles made that trade. And I was like, that scout got his guy. And I'm so glad because Lord knows that was a tough day. But um, even as he's someone that I really enjoyed watching pitch, I think he could be a really effective reliever. I'm, he kind of scares me going through a lineup multiple times. But you mentioned that that knuckle curve, it is a true weapon. And so I think guys can't square up the fastball. He's got the hitch in his delivery. They can't square it up. He's it, That allows everything to play up. It's it's a good stuff. But going through a lineup multiple times does scare me a little bit. But regardless, I, I think he's got a future in the major leagues in some role. Let's uh, shift gears and talk about Jake Cunningham a little bit. Um, because this is a guy that got a considerable amount of hype coming out of the draft, despite the fact that he had an injury-shortened season at UNC Charlotte last year. Bob, or, uh, Brad Selig had a lot of positive things to say about him. Fifth-rounder, outfielder out of UNC Charlotte. The consensus nationally seems to be that this is a guy with a really good raw skill set who hits the ball hard, impressive exit velocities. Bob, I'm pretty sure you were the high person on Cunningham. So uh, I kind of want you to take it from here and tell us what might make him uh, such an interesting prospect. Yeah, to say the least, that was the high person. He didn't even make Nick's <laughs> list. He was number 47 on Zach's, but he ends up number 38 overall because I had him all the way up at number 21 um, just because I think he's comparable to John Rhodes. So I put him right under John Rhodes. I think he has the same exact type of abilities and – Obviously, we haven't even seen him in the FCO. I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe he has something minor, and they're just like, you know, better safe than sorry. Hopefully, it's nothing uh, too serious going on while he hasn't played yet. But uh, yeah, I just I see no reason, and I could easily regret this. And once we see him in the field, be like, oh no, 
no, <laughs> we got to drop him a little bit. But for now, just from all the reports I read, the video I watched, he's like uh, right in line with John Rhodes. So I, I took the bold move to put him up there ahead of some other guys from this this year's draft, like Josenberger and and some others. So yeah, if uh, if he's too high, blame me. If he's too low, blame the other guys. I I will say he did not crack my top 50, even though I mentioned on our draft show that he was probably my favorite draft pick of this class. Um, the John Rhodes comp is, I think, pretty accurate. Uh, could be John Rhodes. And even I, I think Cunningham's ceiling probably could be higher than John Rhodes even. Uh, it, more questions about the hit tool probably with Cunningham, but still, uh, for me, I... I don't know why I didn't have him in my top 50. I think once I got down to like 40, I fell, I've fallen in love with so many of these pitchers more and I wanted them on there. And Cunningham is with the draft picks in general. I, I think I was probably lower on a lot of the draft picks because I don't know. I'm more hesitant with these guys. Now this is what year three of doing this. I feel like I would rather have them lower to begin with and then quickly move them up than be like, Oh crap. I want to move them back down. So I think, I think, that's why. And honestly, I had Josenberg at number 40. He was one of my higher draft picks I had in the top 40, at least bats-wise, other than Bradford, of course. And that was really solely due to uh, um, uh, Joe Doyle when we had him on talking about the draft class. He really sold me on Josenberger as an exciting player to watch. But yeah, Cunningham, is um, he's going to be a player. And maybe because he had the injury this year that really hampered him. So maybe the Orioles just going to take it easy with him and let him do, you know, cage work, lab work, behind the scenes stuff. And maybe we see him next year. Who knows? Yeah, I think it'd be fair under the circumstances to ease him in. It, when I was trying to think about where to put him on the list, and I agree, Bob, there are some parallels with John Rhodes. Cunningham's speed could be a difference maker if he can stick in center field with that kind of power. Uh, because, you know, right now MLB Pipeline has him at 55 grade power. And I'm sure some of that is raw power. But you combine that with a run pool of 65, an arm of 50, and a field of 60. That's a really good skill set. Now, as for where I had him on my top 50, just knowing how he's coming into the system so raw, not coming from a major program, and coming off an injury, I wasn't at the point where I felt like, okay, he's solidly inside the top 30 or the top 35 for me. And there are some guys that I had ahead of him that I feel like especially on the pitching side, maybe, you know, have a little bit higher floors or I feel a little bit more comfortable. They're going to put everything together. But Cunningham, yeah, it's very possible that this time next year, Cunningham is a possible, is a, you know, bona fide top 20, top 25 prospect. And then as for um, Tavian Josenberger, I had him 35th on my list. And I actually considered putting him higher because he does look like that, really solid bench player at the major league level. And I don't want to put him in that box prematurely, but it feels like that's an achievable outcome given his skill set, what he's already bringing into the organization. He can play multiple positions, uh, excellent back control, excellent strike zone discipline, a little bit of a power uptick that you're not looking at a 20 home run bat, I think, but I think a guy who gives you, a dozen home runs in a good year with a high one base percentage is possible. Yeah. yeah and after the first week or so of these uh, new draftees coming in, I feel like we might've disrespected Matthew Etzel or he's making a case for himself. So yeah. Uh, nice to see these guys come in and get off to a, a great start. 
Yeah. I had one more note about Joseph Berger. You talk about comps there. I kind of got, and I hate to throw this name out there because he's injured for the year again. And who knows if we're ever going to see him play baseball again, but I kind of got like Reed Trimble esque vibes with Josenberger, except Josenberger is probably more athletic and maybe less power, but you know, he can play. Was it second base? I know Joe Doyle mentioned that he could play in the dirt. And I know there was talks of Reed Trimble possibly playing in the dirt, but you know, Josenberger could play the multiple positions. He's got speed. He could be a guy who has sneaky power and develops more of that as he goes along. So he, that's kind of an, uh, an exciting player for me that, that I like. And hopefully, uh, I think he's already stolen a couple of bags as well. It's all these outfielders. They get the toolsiest outfielders and it's just fun to like, let them go wild and let's see what happens with them. Yeah, I can see that. And Zosenberger doesn't come into the system as raw as Trimble did. That was one thing we heard about Trimble consistently in 2021 is, you know, good skill set, a lot of tools, but he's really raw. And unfortunately Trimble's injuries in the last few years have prevented him. I, they haven't completely hampered his development, but they've certainly slowed it down. And you just hope that in Josenberger's case, yeah, he's able to take what seems to be a pretty polished skill set coming in and build on that. We'll go now to the final part of this list, 41 through 50. At number 41, we have another 2023 draft pick, and that is right-handed pitcher Levi Wells, the Orioles' fourth-round pick out of Texas State University. Number 42, Noah DeNoyer, who has had an up-and-down year at AAA Norfolk. Number 43, Zach Peak, currently out with Tommy John surgery, but a guy who, before the injury last year, was putting up really strong numbers at AA Bowie and at one point looked like a lock to be protected with a 40-man roster spot from the Rule 5 draft. Number 44, Anderson De Los Santos, an interesting young hitter at Del Marva who has had streaks to plate this year where he has looked really successful and then other streaks where he's been really cold. Number 45th, here's another pitcher with helium. Cameron Weston, uh, who enters the top 50 for the first time in our you know, overall updates. This is also the first time for any Patreon list that Weston has been in there. He joined Aberdeen midseason after an injury this year and has been impressive in a hybrid role for them, showcasing an excellent changeup. Number 46, Aaron Estrada, a guy who caught our eye last year by basically going three for four every night, every day in the Dominican Summer League. This year, the young infielder has had more struggles at the FCL, but occasionally showcases solid bat-to-ball skills. Number 47, Juan Rojas, a left-hander that was acquired from the Twins as part of the Jorge Lopez trade last year. He is back from an injury and currently pitching at Del Marva, and when he is locked in, shows a possible starter's mix uh, from the left side. Number 48, Ryan Long, who appeared in the World Baseball Classic, pitched really well at Aberdeen before earning a promotion to Bowie this year. Number 49, good to see him back on the mound. Right-handed pitcher, Brandon Young. And at number 50, Carter Young, an infielder who, coming into this year when we had Young somewhere in the upper 30s, I said, you may look back at the end of this year and think we had him way too high or way too low. While he has had stretches of success at Delmarva, he has had a lot of ups and downs there as well. That said, the Orioles must see something in the batted ball data as he recently earned a promotion to Aberdeen. So... Again, this is a pretty interesting mix of players because you have some pitchers that have been in the system for a while, a guy like Weston with Helium, and then the new guy in Levi Wells. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. What stands out to you in this part of the list? It's it's kind of like a section where I feel like these are guys who have kind of stalled out a little bit this year, other than Weston. Weston is like 
he's Nick had an awesome little clip on our Twitter page today. He's just fun to watch. He's that junk he throws up there is just like really impressive. Uh, so really like what we've seen from him so far, even though it hasn't been as big of a sample as a lot of the other pitchers. But like Aaron Estrada, I'm still a big believer in Aaron Estrada. I think he's been dealing with some minor injuries throughout this FCL season, he, but he's hit for some power more than he did last year. I feel like so far, Ryan Long, great breakout in Aberdeen. He's struggled in Bowie, but his FIP is like, and especially his ex-FIP is like half of what his high ERA is. Brandon Young, just nice to see him healthy. So he's starting to work his way back up this list. Juan Rojas, he's healthy. He's had some ups and downs. Zach Peak, he could easily climb right back up this list once he's, I think he's uh, actually starting rehab this week or next week. So he can easily start climbing up this week. And Noah Denoyer has fallen 15 spots from our last month. But he's a guy who, he's been pitching better of late. I could easily see him refining that groove that he was in last year and Anderson Daler Santos I'm still a believer I think this is a guy who hits the ball hard he's struggling right now first full season in low a at a I think he's only 19 he's a perfect guy who will repeat Delmarva next year and look so much better kind of like Steven Acevedo has had a really inconsistent but pretty strong season he had two homer game this past weekend uh he's stolen 26 bases so these international guys, I think repeating Delmarva full season ball is a great way to kickstart their development. So to me, it's just the guys that are kind of in a wait and see zone around this 40 to 50. There's some guys with helium trying to overtake them underneath, but they're they're holding their own. Yeah, you got, Zach Peak's only 43 because the influx of talent that's come in this organization over the last year, and he's been on the shelf. He is one of my favorite pitchers in this organization. He was a top 30 guy, and not just on our list, but on national list as well last year before the injury. Like you said, he could quickly climb back up there. Anderson De Los Santos is probably my favorite in this group just because I was watching earlier before he hopped on, and he had a, like a double, I think, off the wall. When he connects with the ball, it is beautiful. Uh, it's just an issue of you know, making that connection with the ball, unfortunately. But again, referencing John Mioli, he's written a lot about Anderson De Los Santos and his batted ball data. It's very good as well. I think that's the same thing. Next year will be his breakout when he repeats Delmarva, which is fine. But yeah, Weston, as far as pitching goes, his last four outings, four innings, one run allowed, no walks, four strikeouts. Four innings, one run allowed, two walks, five strikeouts. Four innings, one run allowed, two walks, six strikeouts. He's been on a mission here in Aberdeen. He got the late start to the year. I don't know what the injury was, but he's only has 38 innings this year on only 10 games. But he is it's been worth the wait to watch him. I it you talk about a changeup that like flutters. It literally just dances and flutters and just does whatever it wants to do. And guys cannot hit that pitch. It is beautiful to watch. I think Connor said it best. I think was that last last time last week. Uh, when he was on, and he highlighted his minor league guys, Weston was one of those. I think he said it best. He's got that secondary that is is a major league tool. That's going to carry him to the major leagues. Now, refine the fastball, and right there, you've got a major league reliever on your hands. And it's up to the Orioles now. Can they get more out of him? I think Weston, I think it's a perfect uh, description of Weston. He's, he's on a, he could be a fast track as a major league pitcher in a bullpen role. It'll be fun to see what the Orioles can get out of him next year when he's up in Bowie and fully healthy and removed from whatever injury, whatever that caused him to miss half of this year. 
I, that's a name that I think I could see skyrocketing up this list by this time next year. The guy that I kind of had my eye on in this part of the list is Juan Rojas, because what we had heard about Rojas coming into this year was a potential starter mix. The fastball had ticked up a little bit in the FCL last year, starting with the Twins and then carrying over to the Orioles. He missed a lot of this year with an injury. And do we still do we know what that injury was? Has it ever been reported? I don't think so. <laughs> he's back, yeah, he's back in Delmarva now, though. And while I don't know that we're going to get a lot out of him, good or bad, over the rest of this year, because you're looking at about a month's worth of baseball down there, and he's probably going to be tightly controlled. Um, so far, 11 strikeouts in 12 and a third innings between the Swerbirds and the FCL. I'm really anxious to see what he can do when stretched out over a longer use period. And let's not forget, he's still only 19 years old. He's not going to turn 20 until January. I like him. And the only guy, unfortunately, like you mentioned Denoyer and his struggles. Like I'm not down on him. His last outing was really, really good, actually. Um, I think he's had some issues maybe adjusting to that automated strike zone as well and just AAA in general. But I think there's still – there are still some other people who are smarter than me who are believers in Denoyer, so I'm going to continue to believe in him. The only guy, and he comes in at number 50 there, Carter Young, I think he's one of the only guys on this entire top 50 that I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, it was t- I kept him at number 50 just because he has come on a bit stronger this year. The numbers have looked better month by month. He's in high A now. He had two hits in his high A debut the other day, but it's just it's all singles. Like you're, there's really no power. I don't know what his ISO and all that stuff is. I don't have his page pulled up, but I feel like what 60, 70% of his hits, probably more are singles. And it's frustrating because you know, we knew that there were two schools of thought there either. Oh, Carter Young is a guy who you can get so much more out of. He's go back to, well, see he the top high school recruit a couple of years ago, that Carter Young is still there. The Orioles can get that out of him. And then you also had just as many people say, no, he's, he's done. It's not going to be there. And it's leaning more towards how much really is there in Carter Young's bat. He's the, really the only guy on this list that I'm uh, I'm not super amped about, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I kept Young um, in the 40s. I think I had him 44th, and I struggled with it. I guess what where I came back to is, like you said, Nick, you have seen flashes of it this year. And in June, he posted a 780 OPS of 359 on base percentage. And realistically, that's probably the kind of hitter he is. I just don't know you're going to get a lot of power out of him. So what it's going to come down to for me is, can he be that high on base uh, utility player who plays both sides of the second base bag really well? Because the defense does look good. That's one thing I will say to Young's credit. I think the defense has been as advertised this year. But it's almost like you you want to see him kind of do one or the other. Either you want to see the power come around, which it did for about half a season at Vanderbilt, maybe not even half a season, uh, maybe probably about a quarter of a season in 2021. Or it's like, you know what? If he hits 10 homers in a good year, that's fine. But if he gets on base 35 36% of the time and he can play shortstop and he can play second base, he's a solid utility player. I look at Carter Young. I look at Anthony Servideo. They're the same player. 
Um, no, um, less injury history, younger, obviously for Carter Young. I think there's definitely some upside there or else they wouldn't have gave him all that money, but yeah, I'm, he's not on my top 50 personally, but he's not that far off either. Um, so, you know, like to see him continue to work with this player development and, and see what they can do. He's got to tap into more of that power. Um, the walks are great. Um, even the batting average isn't that bad, but, uh, yeah, he's got to hit for more power. He's got good defense. So it's a good player to have in this section of your list for sure. I feel like there's a lot of teams where he is a top 30 guy still. Yeah, I think that's a completely fair point. And we'll go now into our final segment. We're going to do a little bit of a twist on our final segment. This is usually where we shout out a guy or actually two players outside the top 50 for top 30 for something they've done recently. Good game, good week. to something in our stat line we want to note. But because unlike in the offseason, we probably won't have the chance to do a deeper dive with the best of the rest episode. We figured we would shout out players who did not make the overall top 50, but were included on our personal top 50s. And with that, I'm going to start with Nick. Yeah, I had, I think, just one guy on my personal list that didn't make the overall top 50, and that was Juan De Los Santos. I had him number 48 here. He's just been a personal favorite of mine since he had a little breakout last year. Um, I think he was overpowering guys with a fastball early on in Delmarva last year, and then when he started throwing more of his secondaries, he got roughed up, but he smoothed it out by the end of the year. I think they shut him down after like 80 innings. Uh, he they put him on the development list and I got scared. Like, all right, uh, so much for that dream. I guess he's, he's done. Cause that's the mystery place where players go. We don't know what's going on with them. Uh, but turns out it was just an innings limit. And this year he's reaching that limit again and still in Delmarva, which I'm hoping he gets the call up to Aberdeen and can get, you know, 10, 15 innings up there in Aberdeen to close out the year. But it's been up and down, but his last three starts, he, or last three outings, I mean, he's got 14 and two thirds innings pitched and he's yet to give up a run in all three of those starts uh, only three walks as well i think the stuff has taken taken a jump forward he's he's fun he's entertaining to watch out there and on he's a big sturdy guy i believe he was what the first international signing by kobe perez's kobe perez regime there or if not the first one of the first uh guys that the orioles signed internationally so that's also a fun storyline to to follow and see if he can make it but Hopefully it gets up to Aberdeen, but he's a guy who I like to have in the back of my top 50 because I, I do think there's potential there uh, with him. Okay. I, I had Juan De Los Santos on my list as well. I also had to trend in Craig, who has had a really solid year since getting a late start due to injury, got promoted to Aberdeen. He might be hurt again. Um, but the guy I want to talk about is Edgar Portis, who is another pitcher in that Delmarva staff. I have him personally on number 47 on my list. And I just think he's a, another guy who is only 20 years old still, even though I feel like his name is, I've seen it for the past couple of years and it never really stood out as anything too special. But if you look at his numbers since May 7th, he has a 354 ERA with a 294 FIP, striking out 31% of batters and walking less than 10%. And even if you look at all his starts combined, he's got a 4.15 ERA with the FIP and XFIP in the mid threes. I just think, you know, uh, <laughs> there's so many pitchers and I feel like he's one that is comparable to some of the other guys that are on our list, but maybe doesn't get the recognition that he deserves outside of our Twitter account and a couple diehards like us. 
those were all good choices. And I only had one guy in my top 50 to not make the overall top 50. And that was my 50th ranked prospect, which was right-handed pitcher Zach Fruit, who the Orioles chose out of Troy University in the ninth round this year. Fruit was not a guy that was actually on my radar until the Orioles drafted him. Um, and then I started to dig in a little bit more and learned, thanks to Joe Doyle, who then came on our show and talked about Fruit a little bit more, sort of about his journey where he had looked like a, a decent draft prospect in Eastern Michigan and in the MLB Draft League in 2021 and 2022, but went unselected at that point in time, throwing a fastball that pretty much resided in the low 90s. This past year, he comes out, and all of a sudden is throwing 94 to 97, touching 99, pairs that what has always been a really good changeup and a developing slider. And I'll admit that on my part, this this is might be a little bit of a reach. But when I look at that formula, I'm like, this is a guy that the Orioles are going to do something with. Um, could pitch in a hybrid role. He's had the velo uptick. He has the kind of fastball that they like. He's already got the changeup, which is always when the Orioles draft kind of a frenzy pitching prospect or a guy whose pitch mix is kind of frenzy, you always look at the change up and say, okay, well, the Orioles are going to develop that, or they're going to find a workaround if they can't develop it. He's already got the change up. So you take the fastball, the change up, the slider, that's a really nice foundation for this player development organization. So he's the kind of guy that I could see being not necessarily top 30 this time next year because he's going to be 24 Probably going to be, you know, I picture him kind of pitching in a hybrid role, but he could be easily in that 35 to 40 range. And you're looking at him as, all right, if you turn him loose in the bullpen, how quickly can he get to the major leagues? Yeah, I think the pitching, the pitching from this year's draft class, I think you're going to see a lot more of those guys added to our top 50 by this time next year. And we may not see, I don't think any pitchers have debuted so far this year. I don't know how many will, if any. There's only a couple of weeks left of minor league baseball. We're near the end here, especially in those lower levels like at the FCL. So I don't think we'll see guys throw too many innings, if at all. But like you said, like I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about guys like Fam. The Orioles have their type. They have the metrics that they like. They have the throwing styles that they like, and they know what to do with these guys now. It's just like the hitting side of things with their prospects. It's moving over to the pitching side now. And I think we're going to start to see – that'd be my boldest take here is that I think you're going to see so many of these pitching prospects take such big leaps next year. And this 2020, 2023 draft class with guys like Fruit and some others I think could really uh, jumpstart jump start that next year. Yeah, there's so many guys like pitchers that are just in the 50 to 75 range that could easily pop up. And a lot of them are – are the guys that were just drafted, like Michael Ferret, Jacob Cravey, you got Cooper Chandler, even like just coming out of nowhere, Jared Beck. It's the pitching is is kind of absurd, and you only need a certain percentage to uh, to really hit and take that next step. And all of a sudden, you got another uh, starting pitching prospect where you didn't think you had one, or at least the fans didn't. So yeah, I think if anything, this list has shown that this farm system might be even stronger than ever despite graduating all these great players that are now in the major leagues. Yeah, well said. And I would throw Daniel Lloyd into that mix of pitchers that you mentioned too. He came really close to making my top 50. Um, and in fact, when we update this next month and we have that spot open because of Jordan Westberg graduating, Lloyd probably will be in my personal top 50. Will he make the overall top 50? 
You're going to have to become a patron to find out because uh, we release our top 50 updates monthly through the end of the regular season uh, to members of our Patreon community. You can sign up for as little as $3 a month or sign up for a seven-day free trial, see how you like it, and then hopefully sign up after that. You have access to our WhatsApp channel, and then our 5 and $10 levels, you will have bonus daily coverage of the minor leagues as well as monthly top 50 prospect updates and much more. While you're browsing the internet, head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com. Check out the latest coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And when you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of BSL, um, as well as contributors to the site. You can also check us out on social media, on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge, as well as Facebook and Instagram. We will be back at our regular night and time next Monday. In the meantime, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to the On The Verge Mid-Season Top 50 Prospects Update. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly Top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.